that wraps up into my defining philosophy when it comes to fanfic and even actually just any out there is that ship what you want to ship. Uh, your kink is your kink and that's why you use triggers and that's why you use tags mm. because, you know, AO3 has that lovely little thing that you have to agree to when you get to a more mature explicit fic that says you are old enough to know that this is just fiction. Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. You may remember a few months back that I had a roundtable about Star Wars fandom and the toxicity on that. During that, we talked about briefly the politics of shipping and specifically the racism in that shipping. We've decided to do a podcast that around another roundtable basically dedicated to that. So with me today, I have Jesse Salisbury. She is a playwright in Kansas City who is involved in my la- that last roundtable, and that was in September. And then I also have Angel Jurd, a New Zealand ACA fan, which is short for academic fan, and she's currently researching the supernatural fandom, and she also writes male-male romance for a living. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what we're talking about with shipping, I figured we'd start with a brief primer on some of the language and terminology that we'll be using. Shipping, obviously, is a nickname or a shortened form of relationship, and it's been around for a while. If I remember right, it was first really notated on a wide basis back in the X-Files fandom with um, Mulder and Scully, and that's kind of where it launched. But I'm sure the, I mean, the idea, obviously, of shipping goes way, way back to even before fan fiction was known as fan fiction. <laughs> we also have fanfic, which is short for fanfic. Fiction, and then the subdivision of slash fan fiction, which is typically male-male pairings, but it also is femmes. There is also fem slash, which is obviously female-female. Obviously, that definition has broadened as our definition of gender has kind of been going through a broadening as well. We also have the phrase OTP, which is stands for one true pairing. Surprisingly enough, a lot of people have more than one OTPs. <laughs> And then, of course, a somewhat new phenomenon, at least in terms of shipping, is the idea of ship names, which I'm blaming uh, Brad and Angelina with the Brangelina Portmandu because it's all Portmandus now, like John Locke for John and Sherlock. Back in back in the old days of uh, Kirk Spock slash, you didn't have those ship names. Um, so with regards to that and with regards to OTP, I wanted to kind of first start off with we all are going to talk about our own personal how we got involved in shipping and fanship and also our one CP. I started writing fanfic back in the early 2000s when I found an article on Slate, uh, which I'll try and find a link to it to put into my show notes, that was titled, Is Luke Skywalker Gay? My wife is a huge Star Wars fan, so I was like, huh, this might be some new news that we had. So I read it and know it was about fanfiction and specifically slash fanfiction. I fell into the hole of fan fiction. But my first was not actually a Star Wars fandom. My first was Xena the Warrior Princess with Ares and Joxer. Yes, that was a pairing. <laughs> but I vastly got swept up in Quantum Leap and Sam and Al. If you heard my interview with the Your Biggest Fangirl podcast that I mentioned in my last podcast... I dove headlong into the Sam Al ship. Just the idea that these two people 
could never touch because obviously if you've seen the show, Sam never left home. So unless you did some great AUs or reworkings, they were never able to touch. The fact that they developed this relationship, this romantic, sexual and romantic relationship, and yet they couldn't touch was just my beautiful, angsty, schmoopy, beautiful heart grasped that. Through a number of events, I kind of took off a break from fandom and getting into that aspect for a while. And then I ran into a lovely little show called Sherlock. Ah, Sherlock. That deserves a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) But obviously the main pairing in Sherlock is John and Sherlock, John Locke. But it has been shipped since... You know, before that, I remember when I first got into that shipping, when I was doing that Quantum Leap, I had joined a multi-slash Yahoo group, which, you know, any parry and any fandom was welcome. And I remember seeing some Arthur Conan Doyle style stories with Watson and Holmes, of course, back then, the last names. And then, of course, the Granada Jeremy Brett series inspired some fan fiction as well. And then the Robert Downey Jr. movies definitely <laughs> caused some shipping there. So the shipping in Sherlock wasn't new. And in fact, that's part of the reason I liked that first episode because there was a little joke, at least I thought at the time, about that when John asks Sherlock if he's got a boyfriend. And I thought that it was the showers being like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know this is a thing people have talked about. Alas, I have vastly different views on that now. <laughs> But anyway, so that is me and my current OTP is definitely John Locke, although I also ship Chidi and Eleanor from The Good Place, uh, although I have a secret place in my heart for Eleanor and Tahani as well. So next up, let's go with a fellow John Locker of Jesse. Jesse, you want to tell me about how you got into fan fiction and your OTP? Yes. So it's kind of fun because I met Angie because of John Locke. Found out we have mutual friends but and theater connections. So it's got a special place in my heart because I met Angie through that. But I got into fan fiction and writing in 2014. I remember writing a lot of fan fiction on my phone on breaks at work so i've gotten sucked into it and never left since august of 2014 and it really interested me to rewrite something that i didn't quite like or i wasn't sure what was happening with it the television show and i was kind of intrigued by that because i saw it going one direction and obviously since the newest season we think maybe it's not but then Also a little bit, so John Locke, obviously, but then a little bit of Harry Potter as well. That kind of fascinated me a bit before the books ended, sort of trying to figure out where they were going with the series. So that's pretty much where I'm at with shipping and fan fiction. Takes up way too much of my time that I should probably spend time doing other things. But And your OTP? Yep. Oh, John Locke, definitely. Okay, and now to our New Zealander, Angel. Want to tell us how you got into shipping and also your OTP? I was very late to fan fiction and to shipping. I discovered Supernatural in December of 2015 when my then 15-year-old daughter said, hey, watch this show with me. And I really am the living embodiment of that meme that says I was a normal person. Then this guy walked on the street and said, dad's on a hunting trip and life hasn't been the same since (laughs) it took me about four or five months to find fan fiction though and fan art and I found fan art first and was kind of a little bit 
I don't know how I feel about this. I was in the middle of doing a media studies degree and kind of fell in the bunny hole and met Angie, who encouraged me to explore the bunny hole. So further down the bunny hole, I found Winfest and went, ah, that makes so much sense. That totally made sense to me. Um, The chemistry between Eccles and Padalecki and then between Dean and Sam just... I, I totally bought that hook, line, and sinker. I'm going to interrupt you for a and second. I'm, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, Wincest is the ship name for the two hmm. brothers. It's Win- yes, Winchesters sorry. and Incest combined. <laughs> yeah. And I made up for lost time very, very fast by burying myself in fanfic and fan art. I don't write fanfic um, other than I've written one fanfic on command for a friend and weirdly, it was Destiel, which is Castiel and Dean Winchester. And I don't ship them at all. So it was a challenge to write because I kept thinking, no, this is just wrong. And so my OTP is totally Dean and Sam. Well, as I said, uh, part of the reason this started is during that Star Wars roundtable, we talked a little bit about the uh, racism in shipping. And we'll only be talking about this very briefly because while I am a Star Wars fan and I'm somewhat in the Star Wars fandom, I don't actually participate in it a whole lot. And so I've only seen it in kind of bits and pieces. But I mean, unfortunately, Storm Pilot, which is the ship name for Finn and Poe, and as well as the Finn Ray. Finn gets a lot of racist stereotypes to his characterization and somewhat Poe as well. There's a lot of African-American racial stereotypes to how Finn is portrayed and it, you know, that's, that's not good. (laughs) And there's definitely a lot of fallback in the ship wars, which ship wars for those who are unfamiliar for better or for worse, there are people out there who's like, my ship's the only valid ship. And if you don't ship that you are, you are bad. Uh, And so uh, a lot of the ship wars in star Wars come from the fact that this portrayal of Finn is based in a lot of racial stereotypes. Have either of you seen any of that in your forays into fandom? This is, might be a little bit sideways, but I think there's some of that, but then it's also bleeding into the treatment of the actors as well. The racism towards the characters being shipped, but then it's also bleeding over to their treatment. So I've seen some of that and people, I think they aren't willing to admit that the They don't want to place the characters together, not only because they don't like the ship, but then there's also some racial undertones. And that's really been my only exposure, especially in Star Wars. I just a little bit of exposure to that. Now, Angel, I know in the Supernatural fandom, one of the minor characters, and he's African-American, I know I've seen a, a very occasional posts about that being an issue there as well. Have you seen any of that? I've never seen it overtly. There's also been one of the FBI agents who was a fairly important character in the first few seasons was African-American. And there's always been some issues with Supernatural around treatment of race and gender and sexuality anyway. So it's hard to say in the Supernatural fandom how much of it is actually a portrayal of racism coming from fans and how much of it is the problematic treatment of um, minority groups within the writing itself, you know, and and some of that problematic writing within Supernatural 
it's problematic that it's problematic if that makes sense yeah because of of where they've situated those characters it wouldn't be a shiny world without you know all the isms attached to it so it's a, a messy messy fandom for that i i think it's definitely there but i haven't encountered it overtly i know i've seen a little bit with regards to the treatment of sally in sherlock uh, because she's not only a woman but also an african-american woman a lot of people got upset that she was not redeemed while anderson was in season three um mm. and anytime she's written as a character she's written off as a bitch and admittedly she has some very bitchy moments in that season one uh, but again, that goes back to that's how Moffat and Gatiss wrote her. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, there's, there's just some, your fave is problematic tones to that. Okay. Well, uh, um, that's pretty much, uh, well, let's move on. We, we talk a little bit about Star Wars. Speaking of Star Wars, the next kind of political politics and shipping is incest. Incest is, you know, a very taboo thing in, in shipping, it seems like, but you know, in Star Wars, there's, uh, there are a lot of people that shipped Ray and Kylo back when Ray was supposedly a Skywalker, but also back in the day, there was a lot of people who shipped Luke and Leia before we found out they were brother and sister. And then once they were found out the brother and sister, there was a whole different group of people that were suddenly like, let's ship them. But then also in Supernatural, as Angel will talk about here in a minute with Wincest, and also Sherlock. I've seen a lot of, it's called Homecest with the two Holmes brothers. And then again, back in the early 2000s when I was on that All Slash, I read more than once Simon and Simon was a huge fandom mm -hmm. and they're brothers. It's kind of going into the taboo of incest, but... Angel, I'm going to kind of let you take the lead on this since you're a big Wincest fan. What do you think is the reason why you ship it and the taboo of incest being there? I think with Wincest in Supernatural, the, one of the ways it was explained to me was by a writer who writes Wincest and writes Wincest very, very well. And they said, you know, we have the concept of these two men who were raised in a really abnormal situation. They did not live a normal life. They went from town to town killing monsters. They lived out of the backseat of their car. They lived in diving motels looking after one another while their father abandoned them. Their mother was dead. We accept all of that as viewers or readers of that text. It's actually not that big a leap to assume that these two boys would have turned to one another for a more intimate comfort. And I think that's probably true. I think when you follow the story, the underlying story of Supernatural, that makes sense that, you know, we know that Sam and Dean die for each other all the time. They give up everything for one another. They, as Dean says, you know, they're each other's weaknesses. So to then go, ah, but they wouldn't have got together sexually kind of is like you know going all the way to the end and then going oh no we're just not going to jump off the cliff i think one of the, the things that helps probably is that the actors have this amazing chemistry as friends themselves so the chemistry is actually there on the screen to drive it you know if, if they didn't if they weren't as convincing in their their adoration of one another it probably wouldn't work as well i don't think and i i remember watching simon and simon it was years ago because i'm old <laughs> and that never occurred to me at the time but looking at it 
with hindsight, with what I know now academically and from reading and participating in, in fandom, totally I would ship that. <laughs> <laughs> now, admittedly, I was into Supernatural for a while. I gave up uh, about three years ago. And yeah, I can definitely see the Wincest, especially in the first couple of seasons. Very Flowers in the Attic style, which if anybody's familiar with Flowers in the Attic book, there's some incest there and between the brother and sister. And and it's for the same reason. They only had each other. So of course they start confusing their familiar feelings with their sexual awakening and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not into that as much in the Sherlock fandom. I can definitely see that, though. I like how Angel explained it. Like, that definitely, I can see that playing into it. My son is really into that show. Like, he's obsessed (laughs) with it. So, what I've seen of it is from him watching it. But, yeah, I can definitely see that from the bits and pieces I've seen of the two of them. Angel, you were going to say something? It's an interesting conversation that's happening in MM circles at the moment in mainstream as well about why is it such a popular ship, incest in general, within whether it's in fan fiction, because most MM writers start in fan fiction and what brings it about and the ones that work. And it is interesting to note that it's not just a, oh, here are two siblings, we will ship them automatically. The ship seems to need a chemistry from a fan viewpoint for that ship to take hold anyway, but certainly even more so in one of the taboo ships. Well, and it's not just with male-male. Look at the stereotypical lesbian I'm with twins concept. The heterosexual male fantasy of having a threesome with twins. That's technically incest. (laughs) There's a fantastic MM writer, Viva Gold, who has twins in one of her series. It always makes me think of that because the number of of people who sort of off on the side get really squicked about it and go, but they're twin brothers. That's And I'm thinking, yeah, I've seen what you watch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, I find that the fact that there's a taboo around incest just generally an intriguing concept because, well, it's somewhat understandable if if it's a male-female because obviously their child would have potential genetic Mm -hmm. defaults. When it's a same sex and there's no potential of any kind of, of child, it's the only issue I have with it is the issue that one you know the control of it it's the same like with a someone who's very very old and much older than the other you have a power dynamic and when they are siblings there's definitely a power dynamic there that they can't escape and and even then it's somewhat intriguing to investigate that with Holmes specifically uh, and this was obviously before we found out who Sherlock's parents were in series three but the headcanon that the Holmes were the way they were because of their parents because their parents were either non-existent or they were just massively massively douche canoe parents led a lot of people to be like for the same reason of course they're going to turn to each other because who else do they have these two brilliant men who are so far above anybody else of course they're going to turn to each other and of course the age difference between Sherlock and Mycroft or Ben and and Gatiss leads it to where there's even added power dynamic because Mycroft is so much older than uh, you know Sherlock and so you've got even that added to it which makes it even more interesting to explore for me. Mm. Well speaking of supernatural and Wincest that leads us into our next topic which is real people slash which is as it sounds where you ship 
real people. This is really big with like boy bands. And then of course, when the Lord of the Rings came out, there was this huge, huge fan shout out between Elijah Wood and Dominic Monaghan that they were secretly boyfriends and they were actually wearing tie clips that matched and there was this huge conspiracy about it. But of course the ships that we're going to talk about because they're of interest to us is what's known as J2 which is Jared and Jensen of Supernatural as well as Freebatch which is Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch. Angel I'll let you start with why J2 and tell us just a little bit kind of a brief summary of what that ship is like not only to ship but as to read and your thoughts on it j2's j2's much more difficult than wednesday's it's much more problematic weirdly it's the ship that causes the most problems within the fandom most of the fan wars in supernatural revolve around the real person shipping whether it's the people who ship j2 to the point of tin hatting or the people who ship Misha Collins and Jensen Ackles to the point of tin hatting. And sadly, Jared Padalecki's always the loser in these wars. He always gets picked on. It becomes a little bit problematic when I find that in the real person shipping in Supernatural, there is a sector of the fandom that tends to be very aggressively anti the wives. They they're not content to just make it a fic that their beards, this becomes a reality for them. You know, the marriages are fake, the families are fake. So I kind of deal with that by, I only read J2AU or alternate universe fiction because the tin hatting, which is when people just say, no, that's it. This is this is reality. We're sorry. Jared and Jensen are a couple. They've used these two women to have a family, and that's just life. And here is the proof. And you just sit there going, people, please get a life. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that also in, in Free Batch. I mean, uh, there's a whole yeah. conspiracy theory Love that Ben's that. marriage to Sophie... Sophie. Hunter. Thank you. Sophie Hunter, Sophie Hunter was completely just, you know, PR. So to, to hide the fact that Ben is supposedly secretly gay and that the baby's yeah. fake and that uh, all this other stuff, which the journalist Aja Romano, she normally reports for Vox uh, Pop Culture. She did an article about this conspiracy specifically and brought up that it is almost word for word the same exact conspiracy surrounding um, one of the guys from New Direction, or One Direction, mm. and almost yeah. word for word that the marriage is fake, that the baby is not real, yeah. and it, it's just like they that the fans like, oh, I like this theory, I'm going to move it over here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's some nasty vitriol towards Sophie Hunter. I mean, it is just crazy. And I don't know if it's the free batch shipping, the shipping of Martin Freeman. And I, uh, yeah. I, I think it's partly it that, is, but I think it's also partly just the, the Cumberbatch fans that don't want to see him quote unquote taken. <laughs> yeah. And some crazy and, people that are tin hatting and yeah. which is just them, you know, going off in a crazy direction, coming up with theories that are a little bit insane. But uh, Jesse, do you ship free batch at all? You know, I thought I think it's cute the pictures of them together when they're together. I mean, there's a lot of really cute pictures where they just look like they are the best of friends, but I don't 
I don't really ship that. I think they're kind of adorable together, but I don't buy into any theories or anything like that. I well, think they're cute together. Yeah, no, I, I ship it, but I don't, if that makes sense. I ship it from a purely mm, fictional agreed. point of view. Yeah. I can definitely see why people see it. And I have a whole Pinterest board, which I will link to, that are all these photos, most of them real, very few of them are, you know, photoshopped, that you're like, boy, howdy is Martin uh, very handsy towards Ben. <laughs> <laughs> the draw for me for, for, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I, I definitely see the issues for, for real people shipping because, and this is going to segue into our next topic a little bit of confusing characters with their actors and that these are real people. And so it's like, I don't really ship them. I don't really think Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch ever had anything. Although I do think that again, going down to the Martin is by, I definitely think that Martin saw Ben and was like, I would take a drink of that. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely, you know, especially in those first two seasons, you can see that Ben is enamored of Martin in a lot of his interviews. I mean, he is so much a fan of Martin just as much as the rest of us. So I can, again, I can see it uh, as, as a writing exercise. And I even have a story idea that I when I invent that 48 hour day, I want to write down. There's a few good free batch stories out there that, that take into consideration that they both have relationships. I think the interesting part to me is that there's this headcanon that this is of course back before uh, Martin Freeman and Amanda Abington uh, broke up that they had a quote unquote arrangement that you know they both were open to have affairs outside of their relationship and they were both fine with that as long as they think and you know the way Amanda Abington acts on Twitter and the way Martin Freeman has in his interviews I can definitely see why that headcanon developed <laughs> So, but you know, there is the issue that these are real people and that there are people who tend to take it too far. Like I said, there's that huge conspiracy theory about the Lord of the Rings, about how they were matching tie pins and having secret meetings. It's like, like you said, Angel, you get to that point where you're like, people, there's a real people that you're talking about. <laughs> Which um, is why I only read use because then I can indulge without feeling guilty. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sora, and I'm from the Baker Street Babes, an all-female Sherlock Holmes podcast. And I'm geeking out right now with Angie Fiedler Sutton. You can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contentsmayvary. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Be sure to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, I have a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at angiefsutton.com. So let's turn it to another Sherlock debate, politics of shipping. Uh, the John Locke conspiracy theory, oh, which is could take a whole podcast in and of itself. For those of you who are unfamiliar, back, uh, it was between series two and series three, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, Jesse, is that right? Or was it three, between th series three and four? It seems like it's all, yeah, it seems like two to three is where it started. Yeah. Uh, there developed this um, person who had a meta that uh, because of a report found on the BBC that said they had specific diversity statistics that they had to match, including LGBT statistics, that was released right around the time Sherlock was announced, and the fact that Mark Gatiss is gay, and the fact that no matter what, 
I'm not going to go into how his portrayal of it, but how Moffat was putting LGBT characters in Doctor Who. There was this fan theory that John Locke was going to be Endgame and it had been Endgame from the beginning. And at first, for me, it was an interesting theory. It was like a lot of out of the matter. This is this is fascinating. They, they come up with some really good points. There is a lot of queer baiting in those, you know, series one and series two especially, but even series three somewhat, that shows that if they aren't intending to get them together, they are being majorly queer baiting. So I could definitely see that, and it was fun. But then the main person who, who had done it, which I will not name because I don't want them coming after me, kind of let it get to their head, and suddenly they changed from this is an interesting theory to if you do not believe this, you are wrong and you are you are shipping things wrong. And that then got into a secondary thing of the top lock versus bottom lock debate in Sherlock, where, you know, who is quote unquote topping, John or Sherlock. And, and I'll let you two chime in a little bit. The whole concept that whoever was top and the gender stereotypes that came with that. Jesse, how familiar were you with the John Locke conspiracy theory as well as the top lock, uh, bottom lock debates? Oh my gosh, this is so dumb. It is just... It's just, this is where toxic fandom comes in, where we had talked about with the Star Wars thing too, where people get way too invested in something and then want to tell other people how to behave. So it's just, it's really, I don't know even how to describe it. It's just, it just gets really nasty and saying, okay, this person's going to behave this way and this person's going to behave this way and this is the way it is. And I quit Tumblr for a little while in here because people were arguing all the time. And then people are saying, I only read. And people were commenting on my fix at the time. They said, I would really read this if you would switch around what character does what. Like, I had a couple comments like that. It was really weird. Like, no, I'm not. This is how I wrote it. This is it. So, yeah. And then people got really nasty, too, about, and they still are, if you look at Twitter, about the John Locke conspiracy just still mad at the creators for it not becoming canon so that's probably the nastiest part about the sherlock fandom is just the anger i think especially at those three topics well i mean the fact that they tweeted mark gatiss uh after series four when it didn't become canon to the point where they were basically tweeting threats at him and the fact that they they were super convinced because of the repeated everyone stops at three, that there was a secret fourth episode of series four that was going to actually show that the final problem, the last episode of series four, was actually all a dream in John's head, that it was his version of the abdominal bride that was for Sherlock. And they 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 questioned an, uh, a journalist who had interviewed Agatis and Moffat and ha- basically point blank asked you know, is this going to happen? And they said, no, we've never said it's going to happen. We were tired of this question. Admittedly, I can understand why. And they were basically ready to dox the journalist, which for those of you unfamiliar with the term, doxing is when you put the person's address out and or even swat them, which where you call 911 on the person. Um, Angel, were you at all involved in the John Locke conspiracy theory? Did you see any of that? I did see it um, sort of unrolling. I, I was at a conference about a year ago where they talked about the difference between queer baiting and ship baiting and how a lot of, of shows, because they picked up on fans shipping, 
they really run with that and they ship bait big time and Supernatural was really guilty of it with Destiel. But the example they gave at that conference was just take a look at Sherlock. They grabbed John Locke and then they wound the fans up as high as they could go by suggesting they might give them this ship as canon. And I'm kind of torn as a writer. I mean, it's part of what you do is you want to you want to bring people in, so you you want to sort of offer them what they think they want. I think I agree with Jesse. It's contributed to that that toxicity, and it certainly hasn't helped any of us feel kindly towards the writers after the mess that was season four. <laughs> you know, um, if you're gonna bait your fan, maybe you want to think twice about how you spring the trap at the end. Well, that kind of legs into the back that confusing characters with the actor because you also get the things like, you know, having Slashvik read to the actors, like when Graham Norton had Daniel Radcliffe read Harry Voldemort. And I don't hate even... Graham Norton. Oh, when he pulls that stuff all the time, it makes me yeah. absolutely livid. Makes me livid. And then back in the uh, Sherlock BFI event for The Empty Hearse, when Caitlin Moran mm. had Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch read Sherlock, uh, John Locke fanfic. Which, I mean, yeah. there's a post that's going around Tumblr. I tried to find it. Jesse found a variant of it that talks about, you know, the rules of shipping and the rules of fanfic. And one of the unwritten rules that was totally known back in the day before the internet kind of exploded was, you know, there is this wall between the fans and the creators. And, the you know, the creators are probably, you know, more than you aware of all the fan art and all the fanfic. But they don't acknowledge it and you don't acknowledge it to them. That there's this mutual agreement that it's never discussed between the two of them. Because, uh, I mean, for on the showrunner's point of view, they don't want to hear about it. Because if they are given a fanfic that has an idea that's similar to something they're doing, they no longer can do that. Because then otherwise there's the issue of, oh my God, I stole somebody's plot. And it's supernatural. It happens all the time we are seeing fan you know fanon and fan theory now in season 14 on a regular basis it's that whole idea of some of these tin hatters just seem to not aren't able to separate the character from the fan and the show from the creators and realize that as much as moffat and gatus piss me off i have to remind myself that they are human and that they are real people and that they are real have real lives and whether or not i agree with what they wrote they wrote it they're the ones getting paid for it and i can rail all i want but at the same time i'm i'm not going to be one of these people who uh, you know at a convention decides to challenge moffat on how he writes women you that's not what you do at a that's not the purpose of a convention and i won't do it at a like a red carpet either i mean that's something that you would want to set aside a specific interview you wouldn't start with that you would definitely end on that (laughs) but um, i think too there's one thing that's that's also problematic and we see it I don't know if you see it so much in the Sherlock um, interviews because I'm not as active in that fandom, but certainly we see it in Supernatural, is that when the actors or the creators are a little uncomfortable with having a piece of fanfic or a piece of fan art shoved in their faces, that then gets bandied around as proof of their homophobia or their misogyny. 
when in fact they were up there talking about you know what they were doing on Monday and suddenly somebody's shoving a piece of explicit windsurfed or destiel art in Jensen Ackles' face and him going, I don't want to see that, gets read as him saying, I hate gays. They're not the same thing. You know, that, that's a very big jump to make. And it, it's, I imagine it would be the same within, within the, the Sherlock painting. You know, just because they go, hey, look, I don't want to look at that, that's not a statement of their belief. It's a, hey, I don't want to look at that. Yeah. Jesse, any thoughts from you? I haven't seen that as much with the John Locke fandom. I know Martin has made a lot of jokes about oh, you'll be I, lucky if you can't get that out of your head. I am 100% convinced that Martin has a Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. Going back to the topic of hand with the politics of shipping, Jesse, um, I'd mentioned those top 10 rules. Uh, you had, Do you have that in front of you by any chance? Yes. Give me, give us the rules. You don't have to read the whole thing, but give us the basic rules so you can, so our audience kind of gets an idea of, and again, these were pretty much core known before the internet exploded. And I think a lot of the problem, as much as a pro technology person I am, I think a good chunk of the problem is that with the advent of the internet and with the advent of social media specifically, you've got much more immediacy. You can tweet Amanda Abington or Mark Gatiss and get it directly to them. You don't have to go through some sort of third party like you used to do back in the days where you had to contact the manager or the agent or whatnot if you wanted to to get somebody's attention okay so this is created by charity and we could probably link it rule one thou shall honor the creator's wishes two thou shall always give credit where credit is due that's with like fan Three, art and fanfic right mm-hmm, correct thou shalt ship and let ship for what happens in fandom, thou shalt keep in fandom. That's that whole don't shove things into the actors' faces. <laughs> yep. Five, thou shalt not out a fellow fan. They gave an example of don't spread around if there's a kindergarten teacher that's writing slash fic. Yeah, there are um, horror stories of teachers getting fired yeah. because they were found to be just, you know writing slash fic back in the days. Six is thou shalt always appropriately warn spoilers and triggers that kind of thing seven is thou shall not tweet email harass send death threats to an actor or creator ever eight is thou shall not judge another's fandom and in parentheses it says unless it's twilight <laughs> um <laughs> and even that's getting some new love on tumblr I've seen. it is isn't that wild <laughs> nine is thou shalt use thy cut tags and then 10 is thou shalt understand the simple fact everyone is gay <laughs> and that's that's the top 10 list now with regards to ship and let ship that is a big thing of mine and that's mm. kind of comes back yeah. to the to the incest issue and our next topic which is part of the pro part of the reason we decided to i decided to talk about this is lately especially on tumblr there's this huge purity wank which wank short for wanking which yeah. if you don't know what that is go look it up on your own <laughs> urban dictionary is your friend <laughs> and the whole idea that if you write something that's considered dark fic you know i rape pedophilia incest whatnot that you believe that that's okay and this is not a new thing. Back in the early 2000s, there was this, I forget the name of the blogger or live journal or whatever it was. Uh, it was a essay uh, or it was a thing that did a lot of essays on fandom. Like they had a call out of the planet of many ships where uh, sh uh, many hats where it's like it seems like 
uh, whenever Star Trek goes visits a planet, they always seem to have just one thing. They're only one religion or only one belief. And they never seem to understand that these other planets may be as confused as we are. That, you know, if we take me to your leader, well, do you mean Donald Trump? Do you mean Theresa May? Do you mean, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I wrote a essay uh, in defense of dark fic, which is what it was called back then. And that was more of the darker areas that, you know, BDSM was actually classified under that because back then that kinks were really considered still taboo and this whole idea that if you like rape fic or if you like pedophilia fic that you're evil uh is just stupid i mean back to the whole john Locke conspiracy theory and i'll link to the the fan fail wiki entry on the john Locke conspiracy theory because boy howdy is that a read but they even at one point um the top lock versus bottom lock debate went to 221b con and specifically interrupted a panel that was about writing fanfic or, or shipping or something like that, that where they had a writer who wrote John significantly younger than Sherlock and drew John in the Yuri style. So very, very, looks very young, looks very much like a child. And they confronted her in the panel and basically accused her that she was a pedophile and that she liked, you know, that she should be raped and all this other stuff. And she had to explain that part of the reason she does this and she writes this is because she herself had been raped and that this was part of her therapy was writing about that. But even in that's the case, you don't have, you shouldn't have to explain why you're, you know, your kink is your kink, you know, as long as it doesn't come into the real world. I mean, no one accuses Stephen King of being a pedophile, despite that scene in It, <laughs> the infamous scene of yes. the 12-year-olds having an orgy. <laughs> so, Jesse, I know you've kind of experienced some of the purity culture. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it kind of comes back to some one of the other articles we had shared about, and something you brought up in your last podcast, Angie, is just, it seems like it's different rules if it's men versus women. Like if it's women writing it or women creating things, it's instantly judged harsher. So, right, Stephen King can write an orgy about a bunch of 12-year-olds doing whatever. But if it was a woman, Arthur, mm. I just bet there'd be up in arms even 20 times. So it kind of comes with that as well. And some of that I don't enjoy reading, but I'm not going to go up to a, a panel and yell at an author about it. So I very much agree with just let people be but there's a lot of bullying on tumblr like if you're doing this you're awful or if you screw up once you're banished forever so i think it's all kind of rolled up to one but a lot of it is really really bad against women authors but men they get a free pass to do whatever like two guys wrote a show that's basically a big fanfic about sherlock that's cool but a woman mm. tries to do something different and interesting with sherlock and God forbid she get the positions of how they're having sex wrong. <laughs> now, yeah. a Angel, I know you especially have been delving into uh, kink and the you know, that kind of stuff, especially with your regular writing. I guess I hate calling it regular because that implies <laughs> that your other writing's not. Uh, but your your romance writing, uh, you want to say a few words about this whole issue? The whole sanitization thing that's been happening on Tumblr and on we're seeing it more and more on Facebook too just enrages me and in large part because as jesse says it's so often directed at women female presenting nipples yeah. for tumblr <laughs> well yeah and i had two tumblers now one of my tumblers 
and, and Angie, you've seen both of them. So one of, of my tumblers is, could not be more innocuous if it tried. It has my coffee, my cat, my messy desk. There is nothing on there that is even remotely sexual, probably 99% of the time. And half of that has been banned by Tumblr. My other one, my what I call my research Tumblr, where I find all my pretty pictures for muses for my <laughs> writing, that just got completely wiped because, hey, you're a woman and you posted a picture of a man with no clothes on. But I scroll through Tumblr and there's a guy's Tumblr with a picture of two women in vinyl lingerie making out on a bed and he's not banned. So don't tell me that's not about, hey, go back and sit down and be a good little girl and be quiet because we don't want to see that sort of stuff. In terms of kinkfic, I read a lot of kink, mainstream kink fiction as well as what I read in fanfic. And as I said before, there's a conversation happening around those subjects at the moment. And it it's a complete echo of what we hear in fan fiction. And I work with the Organisation for Transformative Works and we see it all the time. People are being called out for... If you write rape fic, then you are furthering misogyny. This is not a good thing. You must ban it from the archive. If you write an incest fic, if you write puppy play, then you're encouraging bestiality. If you write or publish on your platform or in your book about age play or diaper play, then you are encouraging paedophilia. And these things are, are not at all the same thing. I know people who are pups. I know people who participate in diaper play. They have no interest in animals or in children. They have an interest in a particular type of sexual role play with consenting adults. They have an interest in reading that or in writing that. And again, for many of them, it, it's a form of therapy as well. There is a, a person in the States, Angie, who has a site called A Kink in the Cure. And their work has found that for a lot of people who have suffered sexual trauma, kink actually offers a very therapeutic way of dealing with it, you know, when managed correctly, obviously. So this drive, this puritanical, we have to get back to missionary style, heteronormative, men decide what is okay thing, just... It's 2019, people. How are we suddenly in Victorian England? <laughs> well, and even with regards to if it's not role play, the fact that this is fiction, it is. there's no yeah. visuals, it's all writing. And again, no one calls out, well, some people call out, you know, Lolita or Flowers in the Attic, and they have, yeah. you know, pedophilia and incest. And those are exactly. easily available at almost every library in America. It's just because you write about it doesn't mean you want to do it. I mean, I will... I will be bold and I will admit I like the occasional rape fic and I like the occasional fic where Sherlock or John is significantly younger than the other because I find it yeah. interesting how it changes their relationship. And, you know, just because I find that sexually appealing does not mean I necessarily want to be raped or that I necessarily yeah. have a thing for younger yeah, people. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's that whole back in the, um, I want to say 
late 80s, early 90s, there was a, a huge trend about the idea of rape fantasies for women and how that must mean that these women want to be raped. No, it's a rape fantasy is a fantasy. That's the, the key word of that. Yeah. And the idea that for women especially, because... And again, this is people who identify as women, but, you know, because they're in a situation to where a lot of times they are not in control, a rape fantasy in a way lets them have control because it's still a fantasy. They get to control why they're being raped. And it's so it's a way for them to kind of still control the narrative, but still have that, you know, the, the romance, I hate using that word, but the romance idea of sex when you still want to say you're not sure about it. But that is totally it. That, that's exactly it. That is the cornerstone of most kinkfic, is that the person who appears to be the submissive or the person who's being, you know, raped in, the, in a thick or who is the little in a, a daddy kink or, or who is the pup, they are seen by society as being oppressed or or not having any choice when in fact they're the ones with the control and that's what they like about that fantasy is that they keep the control they're the ones saying this is what i want this is how i want it this is when i want it so i think that's a really really good point angie that yeah it's it's about the control in the fantasy jesse do you have any thoughts i know angel and i have been kind of controlling the conversation here (laughs) no i mean i think those are all really good points and i just think I think people miss out on things when they judge all of that before thinking about it or try to shut people down. Like I said, I'm not into a lot of those things, but I just think there's a lot of purity nonsense on Tumblr that they don't even let the conversation get started, you know, about Mm -hmm. those things. We're going to kind of wrap up here on the main discussion, uh, but that wraps up into my defining philosophy when it comes to fanfic and even actually just any out there is that, you know, your ship is your ship, uh, ship what you want to ship. Uh, Your kink is your kink. And that's why you use triggers. And that's why you use tags Mm -hmm. because, you know, AO3 uh, archive of our own, which is a subdivision of organization of transformative work has that lovely little thing that you have to agree to that said when you get to a more mature, explicit fic that says you are old enough to know that this is just fiction. And that just because you read it doesn't mean you endorse it. I mean, the thing that cracks me up, or not cracks me up, but infuriates me is this whole wanting to get rid of it. It's like, the library doesn't do that. Bookstores don't do that. You could pick up any book and have no idea. You know, the Outlander books. There's a rape in Outlander books. It's not said in anything. So if you didn't know and you're like, hey, I want to read these books that the TV show is based off of, or if it was before the TV show, hey, this sounds interesting, you read along and suddenly you get to where she's raped and you're like, holy crap you know no one warned me about that (laughs) and you know so why are we expect we it seems like fans are expecting a higher code for fan created things and while that's great i mean we're at least on the front line of the idea of let's make sure we tag for triggers at the same time you have to trust that everybody is an adult and if they're not adult they shouldn't be on the internet in the first place (laughs) exactly i think archive of our own and they created a new feature where you can x out what you don't want to see so Mm. it's like there's no excuses now you can tag what you want to see and x out of what you don't want to see there's no reason to get all upset over any of that you've got way more control over what you can read or not 
Okay. That so... doesn't stop us getting horrific amounts of mail about it. No, of course not. <laughs> now, we are vastly over my time limit. So as we're wrapping up, any final thoughts? This is obviously just a shallow dive. And I mean, each of these things that we've talked about could very well be a podcast in and of itself. I will definitely link to some articles that kind of go further into some of the things we've talked about. But before we get to the final bit of the podcast, any further thoughts on shipping and the politics therein? Jesse? Oh, just... I think just keep an open mind and let people do what they want to do. I think ship what they want to ship. I'm with Angie. And Angel. I'm the same. You know, you let people like what they like. If you don't like it, move on and read something else. You know, it's not up to you to decide what they like. Now, for the final wrap-up, as everybody who listens to my podcast know, I always end each podcast with an Angie Geeks Out. As with the last roundtable, I'm expanding this to each of my guests. Jesse, what are you geeking out about and why? Okay, I am geeking out about this podcast. It's called The Subtext, Conversation with Playwrights. It's with Brian James Pollock from he's now partnered with American Theater and I'm geeking out about it because he talks to a new playwright every week and they're just really good so if you're into theater and new playwrights it's a really good podcast to listen to and Angel what are you geeking about and why I'm very boring I'm actually geeking out about the fact that we have got a season 15 making Supernatural you know the longest running sci-fi fantasy show on American television and that we're seeing so much fanon being incorporated into it. We can see how fan reactions forming the show. So for me, that was a really big, there were a lot of cheers when we got the news the other day. So for me, I think I'm going to go with the fact that here in two weeks, I will be attending Gallifrey One uh, for the second time. This year will be the first time with my wife. She was unable to join me last year because she had to work. But this year, we also decided to go a little big and we got all of the special events that are around one of our special guests which is a certain john barrowman and he is going to be getting a angie geeks out convention ribbon as well as an angie geeks out business card and i'm gonna suddenly say hey i happen to have a podcast and i do interviews (laughs) he smells he smells so good. Yes, Angel was lucky enough to have her photo taken with him. It. What was the name of the convention? At Armageddon a couple of years ago. And, and he so, does. He smells wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is he going to be there, but Catherine Tate. And they're also going to have a lot of the people from the old series, including William Russell and Carol Ann Ford, i.e. the first two, wow. two of the th- first three companions ever. And so I am super excited about this. And this week they finally put up when all of the special events are happening on the schedule. So sometime this week, I'm going to sit down with my wife and be like, okay, we definitely have to hit these because we paid money to go to them. What other events are we going to do? And while I'm there, I'm also going to hopefully find time to interview Alicia Stern, who is the lady behind the Dr. Puppet web series for a future podcast interview. And I'm also hopefully going to have her hopefully a reunion with Travis Ritchie, who is my first podcast episode guest, i.e. Inspector Space Time. I think I saw on social media that he is planning on coming back. So I'm going to have my podcasting equipment there. I'm going to be like, hey, it's been a couple of years since I last interviewed you. I'd love to kind of go get into what are you doing now 
kind of thing. So that is what I am geeking out about. So finally, let's go around and just shout out where people can find you on social media or website. Jesse, if people want to know more about you, where where can they go? Probably the best place is Twitter for fandom stuff. It's J Barry Writes. It's J B E R R Y Writes. And are you willing to expose what your AO3 handle is? Um, it's J Barry. And Angel, where can people find you? They can find me just about everywhere, just using my full name, which is Angelique Jude. You want to spell that, please? A-N-G-E-L-I-Q-U-E-J-U-R-D. I have a website, which is angeliquejude.com, and I'm pretty much everywhere under my name. Okay. As for me, if this is the first time you've heard this podcast, you can find me on all social media at Angie F. Sutton. But if you want to delve into my fanish side, uh, and this is also on Dream With as well as AO3, my fan pseudonym is Kylara Ingress, K-Y-L-A-R-A-I-N-G-R-E-S-S. I've only written a couple of Sherlock fanfics. Most of the ones that are up there are my old QL fix from back in the 2000s that I decided to throw up there after I saw that there were a few other... My, the very first fanfic I ever read in the Quantum Leap fandom I found on AO3 and I'm like, yay! But I've got like three or four more stories in my whips that it's like when I invent that 48 hour days kind of thing. But I have a few Sherlock fics in there. I'll link to that as well as that's the name of my dream with because when I created the dream with, that was when Live Journal was going bad and I was trying to separate my fan side from my writing side. So I was like, I'll name it after my fanish persona and leave that to all my fanish stuff. Little did I know that I'd be reincorporating the two. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Jesse and Angel, for joining me today. This is it for the politics and shipping. Next month, I will be interviewing Petrea Burchard. She is a voiceover artist. She does a lot of voiceover, like, book readings. She is best known as one of the voice actors in Tenshi Noyo. So we'll be talking a little bit about how she got into voiceover work, as well as her work as a writer and what she does. Thank you very much for joining me, and let's geek out. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on angiefsutton.com.